take a copy of God's Word and let's turn to Acts chapter 10. If you're newer to Redeemer Church, uh, September is the month we emphasize global missions. Uh, That's missions with an S at the end. In one sense, Christians are always on mission. Uh, We make disciples locally, wherever we live, work, and and play. Uh, But local ministries should never uh, miss global missions. The Great Commission in Matthew 28 says to make disciples of all the nations. So both should be part of our our church's DNA. That's why our mission statement here is that we exist to equip God's people to delight in His glory and to declare His glory to our neighbors, that's local discipleship, and to the nations, that's global discipleship. When we talk about missions, we're talking about making disciples where the gospel isn't known at all, where, where there are no Christians gathering and giving and, and going. As of August 30th, peoplegroups.org estimates that 3,178 people groups are still unengaged. That means no missionaries, no evangelical church planting strategy for that people group exists. Nobody is taking them the gospel, and without it, they are perishing. See, there's no such thing as an innocent, unevangelized person. We've got to get that. We've got to to know that. And our heart has to feel that. That everybody is born guilty in Adam. And they must believe in Jesus to be saved. We, We can't just relax, even with the amazing gift that we have of having several families uh, and, and singles devoted to global missions. We can't just relax even with the, the 130 or so that we have here in this, in this church body. There's work to be done, disciples to equip, until Jesus saves all His elect from every tribe, tongue, and nation. We need to view ourselves as an equipping hub where, where people come to know God more deeply and then leave to spread His glory more broadly. Some of you stay and equip here. Some of us go to disciple abroad. Acts 10 to 11 equips us for global missions. Uh, The more we delight in this God of Acts 10 to 11, the more we'll spread His glory. We're going to be tackling a bigger chunk of Acts today, 66 verses all the way to chapter 11, verse verse 18. And the reason for doing that is very simple. Chapter 11 interprets chapter 10. Tells us what's going on, fleshes out a few more things for us theologically, and so it it all hangs together as one piece. We're only going to do a broad overview today, so if you think, wow, that's big picture, how do I really get my arms around that here, Uh, we're going to tackle more specific application next Sunday on this same, same passage. As soon as I'm done, though, today, uh, Tim Foster will share how God is pursuing the nations in the Congo. Uh, you'll get, the pursuit of God, you'll get the, God's pursuit of the nations from Scripture, and then Tim will give you one glimpse of, of what that looks like among the deaf in, in Africa. So without further delay, let's, let's read and see God's pursuit and salvation of the nations. Uh, I'll begin reading in chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God, and now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who attended him. 
And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens opened and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and and birds of the air, and and there came a, a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he, walked with, with, uh, as he talked with, with him... He went in and found many persons gathered, and he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, tanner by the, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God And then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. And so when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? 
And Peter began and explained to them in order, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a, a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air, and I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then... God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. We make four observations on this passage. Number one, we see the God who pursues a people from all nations. When we read this text, what is revealed to us is the God who pursues a people from all nations. When you hear nations today, I want you to think in your mind every ethnicity. Every ethnicity. To this point, we've seen God saving Jews or people from other nations who have become Jews. Cornelius is different, though. He's still part of the Italian cohort. He's still a Gentile. He's still uh, uncircumcised. Jews would have considered him unclean and, and socially unacceptable. And you can sense it in chapter 10, verse 28. Peter says, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. Or in chapter 11, verse 2, the circumcision party criticizes Peter. You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? Cornelius may be an honorable man, but he's still unclean. We must understand this within the Bible storyline. There were Jews, and then there was everybody else. The nations, the pagan nations. The law of Moses had stipulations about clean and and unclean food. And the law set Israel apart from those pagan nations this way. But those laws never meant God didn't have a way for Gentiles to come to know him and and to become part of his people. And we can think of instances of this in the Old Testament where like Rahab and and Ruth where, where God is saving Gentiles and bringing them into his people. And these, these instances were, were pointing a way forward to a day when God would save all nations through Christ, just as the covenant with Abraham had promised. In you, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. The problem was that Israel failed to see God's heart for the nations in the Abrahamic covenant. And in doing so, they failed to see the food laws were only provisional. They were temporary. They, they too were, were pointing to something greater, pointing to the day of true cleansing that comes for all peoples through the blood of Jesus. And so what happens is that many of the Jews take their own law and they absolutize the food laws. And rather than seeing them as these pointers to God's provision in Christ for all nations, the food laws become points of boasting in their own superiority over the nations. They created customs that bred centuries of ethnic pride and prejudice against the nations. What is God's solution here? Well, God's solution is to give the church a vision of Himself pursuing all nations. 
And we see this in several ways. God moves heaven and earth to reach a Gentile. In verse 3, Cornelius gets a vision of God's angel who, who tells him to connect with Peter in Joppa. In verse 11, God opens heaven to give Peter the vision. And then God's spirit compels Peter to go meet with Cornelius so Cornelius can hear the good news. God also sanctifies his people to reach the nations. Right? Peter himself needs to change in order to reach the nations. He, he suffered from this ethnic pride. He had prejudices against the Gentiles. We even see these cropping up later on in Galatians 2. He snubbed his nose at their offensive habits, but God gives him this, this vision of, of the clean and unclean animals and, and teaches Peter that what God has made clean do not call common. And this happens three times. You know why? Because three Gentiles are about to knock on his door. And that's how God wants Peter to think about each one of these Gentile men that knock on the door. He, he even says in verse 28, God has shown me that I shouldn't call any person common or unclean. So God sanctifies his people to reach the nation. God also himself shows no partiality. God shows no partiality. Peter says in verse 34, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Now, some have taken this to mean that a person can be saved apart from hearing the gospel and believing in Jesus. You know, they, they argue, I mean, see, I mean, all Cornelius needed to do was, was fear God and, and do all the right that he knew how to do and pray and, and give to the boar. And, and God accepted him. See, I mean, he was already saved. It's not necessary for people to hear the gospel. But that reads more into the word acceptable than what's actually here. It also contradicts the rest of the passage, which is also part of the reason why I read chapter 11 as well. It can't mean that Cornelius was already saved because in verse 43, he says that forgiveness of sins only comes to those who believe in Jesus. It's very explicit about that. Also, when Peter retells the story in chapter 11, verse 14, he says this, he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved. That's the angel's message to Cornelius. Peter is going to declare you a message by which you will be saved. So it was necessary that Cornelius hear the gospel to be saved. So acceptable can't mean Cornelius was already saved and he just needed some, some things worked out doctrinally. What does it mean then? Peter is simply clarifying the, the flip side, the, the positive side, to God showing no partiality. He doesn't show partiality, meaning he accepts everyone as candidates for salvation without distinction. Anyone among the nations can be saved. Anyone can believe. God doesn't save based on ethnic background or, or language or cultural baggage or, or social status. He saves based on his grace alone. Based on his choice alone, all peoples are acceptable candidates for salvation. The God of Acts 10 and 11 is a God who pursues a people from all nations. This, and this fits the Bible's testimony, doesn't it? Not the, the overarching testimony of Scripture. I mean, when we think back to the promise of Abraham in Genesis 12, verse 3, that in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We see God's heart for the nations. We could think of Rahab and Ruth and the Gibeonites and the Ninevites that God reached, the, the prophets again and again promising God bringing sons from afar and daughters from the ends of the earth of many nations and Zechariah 2, many nations joining themselves to the Lord. The Psalms break forth in, in song. We read one earlier, let the peoples praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you, let the nations sing and, and, and be glad our God is a God who pursues a people from all nations. To know this God truly is to share His passion to spread His glory among all peoples. To know this God truly is to join His pursuit of people from all nations, from every ethnicity, no matter what it costs us. 
To know this God truly is to hate every form of racism, whether subconscious or explicit, and to cherish the fact that Jesus has in fact purchased for himself a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And they will reign on the earth together. Number two, we see the gospel that saves people from all nations. The gospel that saves people from all nations. You know, God could have had the angel deliver the gospel to Cornelius. God could have written the gospel in the vision, but he doesn't. He chooses to use Peter. He chooses to use us to deliver his gospel. Sometimes Christians will pray that God would give the Muslim and Hindu people's dreams like he gave to Cornelius. But never should we think that these dreams remove our obligation to take them the gospel. The whole point of the dream was for Cornelius to hear Peter's message. Faith, Romans tells us, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We must go and we must preach to save the nations. And the gospel we take to them appears in verses 36 to 43. And I want to make just a few observations about this this gospel message we, we bring. First, the gospel begins with God. I mean, God is standing behind everything Peter is announcing here. God sent word to Israel. God anointed Jesus. God was with Jesus. God raised Jesus from the dead. God chose witnesses. God appointed Jesus to be judge of the living and the dead. The gospel is a message about God acting. God taking the initiative. It's it's not not about man doing for God. It is a message about what God does for man. What man cannot do for himself. You know, somebody read it earlier from the scriptures that his own arm brought him salvation. God's own arm, when there was no man to intercede, God's own arm did this. The gospel begins with God. The gospel is also historically true. Historically true. Notice the historical apologetic that, that Luke interweaves throughout this message. Verse 37, you yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea. Go go ask anybody in Jerusalem. They'll tell you about it. Verse 39, we are witnesses of all that he did. Verse 40, God made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. So the gospel doesn't promote this idea of a closed universe where God stands aloof from his creation, as as a lot of deists would say. Rather, the true God works in history. He, He works through verifiable facts and events and people in history. He himself even enters history. Which brings us to a third observation. The gospel announces God saving people through his son, Jesus Christ. Peter announces the life of Jesus Christ in verse 38. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. So Jesus' life displays the the nature of his mission, that he he came to, to heal all that sin had broken. He came to deliver us from Satan's oppression. Uh, He announces the death of Jesus Christ. In verse 39, they put him to death, it says, by by hanging him on a tree. Not, Not a cross, but a tree. It would have been true to say cross, but he says they hung him on a tree. And we've seen this before. It's a reference back to Deuteronomy. And Galatians 3 interprets that for us. That says that those who fail to keep God's law, they are under God's curse. If we break God's law, we're, we're under a curse. And Galatians says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So the basic point here in this proclamation of Jesus' death is that Jesus, who didn't deserve God's curse, became a curse in our place. 
That's why Jesus died. He died to take away the penalty that our sins deserved. Peter also announces the resurrection of Christ in verse 40. But God raised him on the third day. So he didn't stay dead like everybody else. He defeated death. Proving that he himself truly was innocent. That he himself truly was God's son. And finally, Peter announces the return of Christ in verse 42. Jesus, he says, is the one appointed by God to judge the living and the dead. So we get his life, his death, his resurrection, and his return. Which means that the gospel is, fourthly, urgent and necessary to believe if he is returning. It's urgent and necessary to believe. Jesus will return to judge all people... Those who are against Christ will suffer eternal punishment. Revelation 14.11 says the wicked will drink the wine of God's wrath. He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever and they have no rest day and night. But those who belong to Christ, those who have had their punishment removed They will receive the kingdom of peace. They will enjoy true life and fellowship with God forever and ever. So don't miss a fifth observation here. The gospel is for everyone without distinction. The gospel is for everyone without distinction. Look at verse 43. It says, To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes... Note that. Everyone who believes in him... Receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So not just Jews or Gentiles. Not just black people or white people or Asian people or or Indian people. Not just rich people or poor people. Not just traditional people or hipster people. Everyone without distinction who believes in Jesus receives the forgiveness of sins. All their sins wiped clean. All their guilt removed. All of Christ's righteousness given to us. All the newness of the kingdom, ours. And that's the good news. Peter calls it good news in verse 36. The good news of of peace through Jesus Christ. It It is through the gospel that we obtain peace with God. Sin broke relationship with God. The gospel Gives us peace with God. Which leads to number three. We see the grace that God gives believers from all nations. The grace that God gives believers from all nations. We've seen some of it already. His grace involves the the forgiveness of sins in verse 43. So this picking up on the theme of true cleansing that comes for all people through Jesus Christ. His grace also involves the gift of the Holy Spirit. We see this in verse 44. The Holy Spirit, it says, fell on all who heard the word. The Holy Spirit isn't just a power. He is not an energy. He is a person. A person. He is the third person of the Trinity. And what He does is He mediates the very presence of God in Jesus Christ to his people. It is indeed God dwelling. Just like he did, he dwelled among the people in the tabernacle, in the temple. He dwells in the church through the Holy Spirit. Paul says that this was part of God's promise to Abraham. I mentioned Abraham's, the promise to Abraham several times today. Uh, I also mentioned Galatians 3 a minute ago where it says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. If you keep reading in Galatians 3, it gives this reason. This is the whole point of why He bore the the curse. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. The blessing of of Abraham is the promised spirit and we get it because of what Jesus does and it, and it goes to all nations we see that happening here the Gentiles get the promised spirit 
God's grace also means full inclusion into the covenant people. Verse 47. Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? In other words, the evidence was clear. The fruit of the Holy Spirit was, was, was filling the Gentiles. And Peter's going, God just put them on our team. We better give them a team jersey. This is God's doing. Therefore, we best baptize them. In chapter, at the end of chapter 11, we see that he, he also gives repentance that leads to life. So we see life there, eternal life in fellowship with God. So the Lord isn't withholding any grace from these Gentiles who believe. His grace is available for all who believe in Jesus. He gives it freely to believers from all nations. And I say, let's not withhold these blessings from them. By keeping our mouths shut. Let's spread the gospel near and far that all the nations might enjoy God's manifold grace with us, with us, and celebrate it and sing of it together. And lastly, number four, we see the glory God receives for saving all nations. The glory God receives for saving all nations. In chapter 11, Peter explains all that happened. And he concludes in verse 17, If then God gave the same gift to them as He gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is I that I could stand in God's way? In other words, God is already saving the nations. The church just needs to catch up with God. God is already saving the nations. The church just needs to catch up. We've been called into something that He's already been doing all along. He's not waiting around on us. His plan to save a people from all nations isn't frustrated by our disobedience. Either we get on board with God saving the nations or we don't be a Christian. Those are the options. And Peter sees it. He jumps on board. The church sees it with Peter. They jump on board. And and this this is how the whole thing ends in verse 18. When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So it says they glorified God. And that's the whole point of the mission. That's the goal of history. That's why God made the world to spread the enjoyment of His glory among all peoples. As John Piper has said it before in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad. It's on the bookshelf in the book nook if you want to pick up a copy. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. He says it is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. Worship, therefore, is the fuel and goal of missions. It's the goal of missions because in missions we simply aim to bring the nations into the white-hot enjoyment of God's glory. But worship is also the fuel of missions. Passion for God and worship precedes the offer of God in preaching. You cannot commend what you do not cherish. You cannot commend to others what you do not cherish. And may it be the case that God helps us cherish His glory that we may commend His glory to others. For some time, Tim and Cheryl Foster have been commending God's glory to the deaf in Africa. And so, Tim, if you would come up and share with us a little bit about what the Lord's been doing through you and your ministry for quite some time. For those, those of you that don't know me, my name is Tim Foster. Of the several hats that I wear, one of them is the director of Christian Mission for the Deaf. We are a nonprofit organization 
um, that uh, is uh, uh, bringing the gospel to the deaf in Africa. And uh, <clears throat> so I, I thank for this opportunity to bring uh, this unique way in which we are taking this shout of love to these, uh, to these distant nations and uh, uh, in a very strange and unique way. <clears throat> the... Um, uh, the, la- the last time I was here about a month ago uh, kind of gave you an idea of what we would be doing, and so I want to just follow up with that as to uh, what God has done uh, through us and the things that we have seen and uh, the unique way that God has, uh, has, has moved. In the, uh, the, the specific event that we held uh, uh, is a, um, a Bible camp for um, uh, a bunch of uh, deaf church leaders. We have about 15 churches for the deaf that are in the eastern Congo region, also in Rwanda and Burundi, and they all come together for a one-week-long uh, uh, pastoral training conference. Uh, this is primarily church leaders and then some, uh, some other people who, who also want to fall in uh, with that. Uh, but we had about 110 people that came. Uh, our numbers were a little larger than, uh, than we had uh, originally anticipated, but... Uh, uh, the uh, a typical day would start with our uh, the two school leaders. Uh, this would be Palilo and Nanza. Uh, they'll head up a um, a team of, of guys that will do devotions in the mornings. And one of the interesting things there is that we get to watch them teach their Bibles, and uh, that, uh, that that gives us a little an opportunity for feedback in where we get to see the kinds of things they believe and how they present truth of God, and sometimes it's scary because they don't have, um, uh, the, the deaf in this particular region don't have access to uh, infrastructure, they don't have access to training uh, materials, they don't, there, there are no schools for the deaf, uh, excuse me, there are no Bible schools for the deaf in their area, you'd have to go as far away as Uganda, and even then the Bible school for the deaf out there is, um, um, it is, is kind of lacking. So the, um, the week is a, um, is a concentrated fire hose of doctrinal stuff because a lot of what they, uh, what they do in their normal uh, church services is they'll tell a bunch of stories from the Bible and then they'll, have, uh, they'll do a bunch of songs. They love singing. And then they'll have a, a moral uh, charge for the week and, and that's it. And there's, there's no doctrinal cohesion. And so that's... Um, uh, me being a doctrine snob, this is sort of a good fit to where uh, we can come in. And so we'll teach the book of Ephesians. Here's one of the guys giving a sermon on Sunday morning that I was kind of like, ah. Um, <clears throat> we'll give a, um, uh, we'll, we'll pick a short book of the Bible. Uh, in this case, it was Ephesians. And we start with chapter one and we teach all the way through uh, to the end. And uh, so chapter one, straight up, we're talking about uh, election and predestination. Uh, Half of them had heard about election and predestination, but the other half, this is new stuff to them. And so uh, those of you in youth who get to hear me talk about Bible timelines, here's this Bible timeline that we're you know, saying, when did God choose us and that kind of thing. It was an interesting discussion. So a lot of people are taking notes because a lot of this is new for them. Uh, this is a, she's, she's a hearing gal. She's an interpreter, uh, Masika. Um, lots of questions, lots of discussions. And, uh, and we'll even have a, uh, we'll break up into smaller discussion groups because the education level for, for the people that come is anywhere from second or third grade to maybe early high school. We'll have, in, in this particular group, we had one guy who's spent any time in college. And what you see is that the more formal education a person has, the quicker they can pick up on biblical truth, the quicker they can understand abstract concepts that are in the Bible. So when you're dealing with someone who is a grown adult, 35 years old, and he's the leader of his church, and he has a fourth grade education, there's a lot of work where you've got to take some fairly complicated stuff that they want to know. They want to know what these passages mean, but they don't understand it. And so um, so there, there's a lot of... of uh, 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 discussion time in in our discussion groups. That's where we get to take the, the what what's gone on in the larger teaching session and 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 break that down. Make sure that people across that educational range are understanding it. And then when there are some people like this, bless this gal's heart, the the one in yellow, she was like glass eyed. Most of it was just flying over her head, but. 
as, as she would bring up different questions, we could have other people in our group that could communicate more specifically to her because language, sign language also changes uh, across uh, these different uh, people groups uh, in this area. So uh, a lot of times when things need to be nuanced, having people in your own group that can actually understand something and communicate that, that really goes a long way. Um, this is uh, Eves Besso, wonderful, wonderful man. He's the director of our school in Chad, three countries away, but we'll bring him in because he has, uh, first of all, he's, he's got a solid grip on the Bible. Uh, he's deaf himself, and he, can, he relates to uh, the deaf church leaders there in ways that I just simply cannot. And so uh, he's, a, he's a valuable asset. Um, <clears throat> about two years ago, our local missionaries there, the linguists, said, hey, why don't we take these discussion groups and we'll have them uh, do crafts and we'll do sports and, and have them compete against each other and stuff. And I'm thinking, this is the beginning of the end. You know, I'm a doctrine guy. We don't, we don't need people playing games and doing crafts. Did Jesus do crafts and games with the disciples? No. <clears throat> but because I'm also a congenial guy, I'm like, okay, fine. Well, yes, that sounds great. Let's do that too. And, and then an interesting thing happened was that we would find, I would see that, that as these people would, gee, fellowship more, they would also discuss more, and they were less, less apprehensive at bringing dis- uh, questions to the discussion table and stuff. And I thought, huh, you know, so uh, <clears throat> I get to learn an, a, an important lesson there. Don't throw pragmatics out the window based on an argument of, on silence. And so uh, uh, there, are, there are important things that I get to learn along the way, uh, even while you know, uh, holding forth the word of light. Here's Renee, one of the local missionaries there. Um, uh, when, when it comes to the section on the armor of God, she's using saran wrap and squirting Elisha here and, uh, um, and just kind of demonstrating, you know, you need to have the full armor of God on. Of course, they all love it. And, and uh, I'm trying not to smile because, you know, I'm not supposed to smile at these things. Um, Nanza and his wife. Nanza is the director of the of our school for the deaf in Bukavu. Uh, it's a it's a young school, only a couple of years old, uh, and and it's it's kind of struggling because their numbers are small. And he's an older guy. Uh, keep them in your prayers. We've got a, a young guy that we're trying to bring in there that can help him out uh, and, and work real well. Uh, some of you at the seminary may recognize Aaron Kuglin. Uh, he's had he's been able to go with us uh, the last couple of years uh, to our conference there. This is Palilo and his wife. Uh, their school was started in, in, we started their school in 2005. Uh, it's about six hours south in another city called Uvira. And um, one of his graduates, uh, Ramazani, the guy that I'm standing next to here, um, he, he only got as far as 11th grade and then went back to his home region and started his school for the deaf out there. And this school is also just a couple of years old. And <clears throat> the... On, on one hand, it's, it's this exciting yet scary kind of thing because, you know, you, you listen to him talk and he's, he's got enough formal education to where the government will let him go ahead and start a school. And then you listen to the, the doctrine stuff and, and, and there's just – there needs to be a lot more work there. But he's, he's, he doesn't have access to the resources for, for better training. And, and he's got these deaf people in his region that he wants to go and reach. And so do you tell him stop, you know? Um, and so, you know, the, these these – um, pray, pray for, for guys like this that are going out because we don't want to, um, <clears throat> James says, you know, we, we, we can't be too quick to get into the pulpit and preach. And so um, uh, we, we want to make sure that, that guys get a good, solid training. Uh, Cheryl and I would love to move there. We have issues that are keeping us from doing that at this time. Uh, but uh, <clears throat> in particular, Ramasani. <clears throat> A couple of weeks ago, he went out into the outlying um, villages in his area looking for more deaf people to bring to his school. Currently, his school has about 45 uh, students, and he lives on a salary of about $50 a month, maybe. And, um, and uh, here he sent me this picture where he's found more deaf people in some outer uh, lying re- villages and is bringing them in to his school. So now he's up to 60 students in his school that he and one other gal are teaching. And so they have their hands full. And he's a de facto pastor for these, uh, uh, for these people that are coming into his school. This is one of his star students. Um, uh, his name escapes me. Starts with an F. Um, he was in my discussion group. Really neat guy. When he came last year, he was just 
not understanding a thing that was going on. But this year, you're seeing the changes that are going on in him. And when we get to Ephesians 5, and we're talking about husbands and wives. He says, I've got a question. Okay, so if I get married, he's 21 years old, right? Second grade. If I get married and my wife cheats on me, um, I'm a Christian, so I'll forgive her. And if she cheats on me again, I'll forgive her again. But what if she just keeps cheating on me again and again and again and again and again? Then what do I do? And I'm thinking, you know, here's a guy who last year didn't know anything. And this year he's asking kind of oddball, but, you know, it's a serious question. And I'm thinking, okay, this is just a, a cultural minefield. You know, you don't want to just blurt out, well, in America we would do That doesn't apply. So I said, um, well, here's what you do. Um, Talk to the elders at your church, and if they're godly men, they'll give you godly wisdom. And he says, oh, yeah, good answer, good answer. And I'm thinking, uh, you know, God out of that one. <laughs> but, um, uh, but this this is this gives you an idea of the kinds of work that are going out where, where people don't have resources, they don't have education, but they want to get the word of God out there and stuff. And so it, it, it's, uh, it breaks your heart and it fires you up at the same time. Really, really interesting stuff. A lady walks in on our first day that I'd never seen before. She comes in with uh, uh, Sovereign, uh, this other gal, and, um, uh, and she's a hearing gal. She says, well, I just, you know, Sovereign was telling me about the stuff that you're doing here, and I just wanted to see for myself what you guys are doing. So I kind of gave her a thumbnail sketch of what we do and, uh, and asked her a little bit of information about herself. Well, she and her family, they had been in Uganda for the past seven years working as missionaries with, uh, with YWAM. And I thought, okay, well, hey, that's neat. And so she's finished up uh, her YWAM stuff, came back to Bukavu, the city there, and was really burdened with the deaf. She knew she and her husband know sign language. Uh, they know uh, English. She more so than he. And um, uh, and and we're working with the three deaf churches in the area, uh, and and just trying to 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 bring in more solid teaching and more importantly to bring out a Christian ethic in their in their work. And turns out that what she when she and her husband they felt called to go to YWAM to to uh, to work with them had no means of financial support. So. Like Moses, they just looked to whatever they had in their hand and put it to work. In her case, making jewelry. So she would make this jewelry and sell it uh, to people in Uganda and use that to, to support herself. And now she's trying to teach some of the Congolese Africans to do that. And I'm thinking, I have never seen this in my life. Most of the Congolese people that we run into, they'll say, hey, I've got this great game plan. I've got this association that I'm starting, so give me lots of money, and then I'll be able to go do this. And if I say, well, I don't know anything about what you're going to teach, they'll say, okay. And they'll back off of the whole project, and they won't do anything because an American or a European didn't come along and support them. And I'm thinking, I don't really quite know that that's the right way to do things, you know. Um, if you tell if you tell them what Paul said about being a tent maker in in uh, in First Corinthians nine or or you know the the, the uh, um, not uh, don't uh, uh, muzzle the ox those are foreign concepts in their culture they think okay if you've got something to do. Uh, Wait until a rich person from America comes and funds you, and then you can go out and do it, or have your church get together and go out and do it. And I'm like, no, that's not quite right. And so here this husband and wife team are actually living out this model of, listen, go out and do the work of God and, and find some way to fund it yourself. And I'm thinking, you know, we can go places with this lady. So absolutely loved her to death. Wonderful family. And uh, um, I had to look her up on Facebook because I, uh, she gave me, on our last day, she gives me these big bags of all this jewelry. She says, here, bring these to America and you can, uh, you know, if you can help raise money for us or for yourself or whatever. And I'm thinking, wow, this is really, this is, is just so bizarre because everyone else that runs into me that, that needs to raise money, they'll say, hey, go ask your friends to give us a lot of money. And I'm like, no. <clears throat> anyway, um, the... Um, uh, I had to look her up on Facebook because I, I need to ask her a few other questions, among which, hey, how much are you, know, are you trying to sell this jewelry for? And, and she says, just you know, whatever you want to sell it for. And I said, well, give me an idea of how much it costs, so that way I can you know, make sure you're... You know, and she says, no, I'll let God take care of that. Uh, if you can do this, that would be great, and then whatever happens, happens. So I'm like, wow. Well, as I'm looking through her husband's profile and just looking at different stuff, I see a picture of their house that they live in, and they live in a shack. And I'm thinking... Not everybody in Africa lives in a shack. And here they are more concerned about doing the work of God, using whatever they have at their resources and going forward, and not about, okay, well, here, let me bump myself up and, until I, and then I can turn around and, and help people that are around me and stuff. So I am looking forward to, to collaborating with them on, on a number of other projects. We've already got some, uh, some ideas on the table that we're going to be going forward and stuff. But anyways, this is... Um, uh, 
just, just a, a few of the things that I want to bring to you uh, uh, to let you know kind of the things that we are doing. And as far as what you can do, obviously this is first and foremost a spiritual struggle. Uh, so pray for us that we can find more leaders, more teachers, and that we can provide training uh, for these uh, uh, leaders and teachers. Uh, Christian Mission for a Deaf is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Uh, churches like Redeemer and many other churches across the uh, U.S. and Canada and Europe uh, support us as well as individuals. Um, and then uh, last but not least, uh, if you're interested in going and seeing some of this stuff firsthand, even if you don't know sign language or Swahili or, or French, we can still use you if you want to go. Uh, don't let finances be an obstacle. We have ways of, uh, as I understand, we have ways of, of making that work if, uh, if you want to go. Um, uh, stealing a line from C.S. Lewis, uh, it is not safe, but it is good. Uh, so I would, uh, if you want to uh, uh, join us for that, I'll have some of that jewelry that uh, Miriam gave me uh, in the fellowship hall. Um, if, if you guys want to take a look at that and uh, donate to her cause. And also um, our uh, semi-annual uh, newsletter is uh, in the um, uh, display rack in back, and I'll also have some of that uh, next door. Thank you very much for your time. If you have any questions, by all means, I'll be in the fellowship hall next door. and be anxious to talk to you. So thanks. Why don't we uh, just pray for for this, uh, what God's doing there, and uh, then we'll, we'll look to close out our service in a minute. Father, thank you so much for your, your grace and the way that uh, you are working among the nations to, to draw all peoples to yourself. As even reading yesterday on peoplegroups.org that, that one of the deaf in the Congo are, are one of these people groups that, that need to be reached. And we thank you so much that you are already uh, using uh, Tim and Cheryl and, and others like Aaron to to reach them. Thank you for, for compelling them by your spirit to get the good news of peace through Jesus Christ uh, in, into the country, into, the, uh, into their language. And, and thank you for uh, the wisdom you've already granted them in, in teaching sound doctrine uh, so that these churches might build a healthy foundation. Our prayer is that many, many more would bow their knee there and that you uh, would raise up healthy churches um, among the deaf and uh, that, that, that others would be able to see the power of the gospel at work in their communities and, and come to know uh, Jesus. Use uh, some of the funds uh, that we uh, collect today to, to support that ministry and, and further uh, the gospel uh, advance. We ask it in Jesus' holy name. Amen.